0: One small step for man. One giant leap for man. Columbia, we Columbia. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of the TKW Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Geddes. Here's my co-host,
1: Dean Joannu. Dean, how you feeling, bro? I, I've been better. I've been better. I'm not loving what's coming out of Tib's mouth so far at training camp, but in general, I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm pretty good. Um, you know, I have sworn myself to a uh, clean slate with Tom Thibodeau. But maybe I don't necessarily have to hold myself to clean slates since he came out less than 24 hours in the training camp and said that Evan Fournier is the front runner. Um, so maybe clean slates aren't a real thing. I don't know. I'm trying, though.
1: I'm really doing my best. <laughs> the thing is, we're holding it against him that, you know, he said that the rotation would have a clean slate, and uh, now, it, you know, it seems that that's not the case. But I don't think he ever said that. I think that he probably said, yeah, I love Quickly. Yeah, no, you know, Cam Reddish has been doing great in these summer workouts. And then I think Bagley or whoever it was who wrote the clean slate comment just ran with it, you know, knowing that the Knicks fans were looking for some kind of, you know, encouragement that maybe things would be a little different this year. But uh, as we're going to get into today, I, I don't expect things to be too different. Obviously, there's a couple new players, lost a couple players. But um, I think that we, you know, if you put your mind to it, you could figure out what Tom Thibodeau's intentions are for this rotation.
0: And that's also been something I've had to remind myself of, and that's a great point that you just made, and why I have to avoid, like, getting too frustrated sometimes is because you're right. Like, we never heard Tom Thibodeau say anything about a clean Slate, and I feel like we always have to remind ourselves about that with the reports, and that's kind of a lot of what we learned this summer, and it's just like, we never heard that for real. He never actually said it. So, but, man, wow, you're, you're – I. I'm still not all all the way ready to get there, and we're gonna go through that. I'm still not all the way ready to get there in terms of you know, it's it's gonna be all the same just because my sanity. I'm trying I'm trying my best to hold on to it. So you know I'm I'm hoping that merit
1: is really a thing this time. Well, speaking of sanity, I've got some people losing their sanity in my Twitter mentions because I tweeted my most realistic expectation for the opening night minutes distribution, what I think Tibbs will do with the rotation based on what we know, based on what we've seen in the past. And uh, I think it's a pretty informed guess, so I'd love to get uh, your take on it. So I've got Brunson with 35 minutes, Fournier, 29, RJ, 36, Randall, 36, Mitch, 31. Off the bench, Derrick Rose, 20 minutes, Quickly, 15, Grimes, 9, OB, 12, Hardenstein 15. And before you respond, I just want to say, if IQ is going to have more than 15 and Grimes is going to have more than nine, those minutes have to come away from Fournier and potentially RJ or Brunson. And I think we know that Tibbs is going to lean heavily on Brunson and RJ. I think the only real X factor there is Fournier. But we know Fournier is going to start. May not close, but he'll start and he'll play a bulk of those first and third quarter minutes.
0: And you see the rotation that you've laid out is why i feel like you know well i'm not ready to acknowledge Evan funny as start it regardless of the front runner comment or not um if being the incumbent makes you, i'm just taking it as hey man being the incumbent makes you the front runner it's the first day of training camp whatever the only n- negative and dangerous thing about that and why you know some people are like oh you guys are reacting too early and i'm one who's saying i'm gonna wait until we get to the season to react for real but like Part of why people are reacting so early is because we we saw a lot. Of, I, I'm it's so funny, man. Like with a lot of comments that I'm seeing from people, it's just like, did you watch this team last year? Like, did you watch this team last year? And that doesn't mean that things can't improve, but like you know, there's people who are like, oh, like you guys are overreacting. Like, you know, he can start the game. It doesn't matter who starts; it's just the minutes. Oh, like. You know, if things don't go well, you can start that way. Like, over the next couple of weeks, you can adjust depending on how the games go. We waited all year for adjustments last
1: year and didn't get them. Yeah, we did not get them at any point. And this idea that, like, if if Tibbs is going to say out loud, which he did, that Evan Fournier is the front runner, that means that he's leaning towards Fournier. We've never seen any data or anything before his eyes or any stat really make him change his opinion on what he should be doing with the lineup. So how is Grimes going to, you know, make Evan Fournier, not a front runner. What is Grimes supposed to do? Grimes already shot even better on catch and shoot threes than Evan Fournier last year, 41% versus, you know, like 39.9. It's marginal and Fournier got a lot of attempts up and Fournier is a great shooter, but is he great enough for a shooter that he's better enough than Grimes to discount the defense, the defensive impact of Grimes? Like, You know, RJ Barrett is going to have to guard the other team's best wing every night. That's, he's capable of doing it. But when you have an option to make that not the case, you make that not the case. It's just too obvious. Evan Fournier started every game he played last year. You know what I think people overlook is Kemba Walker started every game he played last year. Tom Thibodeau is not someone who's going to reevaluate his lineup on a game-to-game basis.
0: He's not. And that's the thing, like the fact that he's not going to reevaluate the lineup makes it very important who starts. And the fact that starters normally get the bulk of the minutes also makes it very important who starts. this, This fantasy world where people are living, where it's like, oh, yeah, no, it just matters who plays in the minutes. And, you know, we can make adjustments as time goes on. We didn't see that. Kemba started. Kemba was starting at point guard up until, I think, March
1: last year. Yeah, until he decided he wanted to go home. Until he decided, this is enough of this, I'm going home. There was no change from Tibbs. There was no change from Tibbs.
0: Kemba would miss 15 games and come back and be inserted as the starting point guard. And then the Alec Burks thing didn't work. There was a point, Evan Fournier shot better in the second half of the season, 100%. Like, I acknowledge that. That's that he did. He did start shooting much better. He looked much more comfortable. I think a lot of that had to do with the ball started moving a lot better once we started running the offense more through RJ. I'm a firm believer in that. Evan Fournier seemed to benefit from it, benefit from it more than anyone else did. So he shot much better in the second half. But there was a point in the first half of the season where everybody's talking about, oh you know, we're going to be able to adjust if that's not. No, we're not. No, we're not based on anything Tibbs has shown us so far. I don't really have confidence in that. Last year, I remember having a video. I was in a hotel room on a production job doing a post-game paladin show and screaming, and uh, it actually ended up getting talked about. I think Nikias Duncan talked about it on his podcast where, it was, like, they were like, oh, I didn't even realize we were allowed to talk about players like this. And I was like, yo, Evan48 is trying, like, he's, he's – it's been – it was 15 games into the season, and over the past eight games, he was shooting under 22% from three. And then he went one for four that night. And I was like, yo, the fact that you can shoot 25% from three and raise your three-point percentage means you shouldn't be starting.
1: Yeah, and what, is, what was Tibbs holding out for? Like, you know, this guy who's giving us absolutely terrible defense, eventually his three-point shot will normalize. Sure, you could bank on that. But we have other guys that could shoot the ball. Emmanuel Quickly is a good defender and a playmaker. Evan Fournier, you give him a little token pressure up on the wing extended. That ball's going off of his foot. And we've seen we've seen it enough times. I was in Greece during Eurobasket, so I watched a lot of Eurobasket because so it was just on TV regularly. And in the game where France got eliminated, I believe uh, France was down four. They had Fournier bring the ball up. Fifteen seconds left. He comes, gets a little bit of pressure on him, like right by the logo. Strip, going the other way. Game over. You know, like, tournament hope's dead, Rudy Gobert upset. It's just, like, I think Tibbs even said the other day he mentioned Fournier as a playmaker. Sure, maybe Fournier can do a little more than just shoot the ball, but is he a playmaker on the scale of starting shooting guards? No. Like, what are we doing here? If we need 3 and D, we need Quentin Grimes or even Emmanuel Quickly or even Cam Reddish is the worst shooter of that group but he can play defense and Tibbs is supposed to be this defensive maniac and time and again, he defaults to the veteran who as at least as far as his tenure with the Knicks is concerned has always been the worst defender. Always like, you know, we're talking Fournier versus Grimes and quickly. We're talking Kemba Walker versus quickly and Deuce McBride time. And again, you know, logic doesn't really come into it. It's what did Tibbs decide was best for us on the first day of training camp. And then what act of God, like a COVID variant, is going to cause him to try something else?
0: Yeah, and I don't want to make this like the Evan Fournier slam fest or even the Tom Thibodeau slam fest. I just think it's important for people to see things that way, like the people who are like, oh, you know, we're going to be able to adjust or we're going to be, or you guys are being unrealistic to feel like blah, blah, blah. It's just like, yeah, like I I truly, I'm a firm believer that Evan Fournier is our fourth best option as a starting shooting guard, and you just outlined them. I think Quentin Grimes and IQ are 1A and 1B, and I think that option three is RJ at the two with Cam Reddish at the three. I think it's very important to have like plus wing defenders on the floor all night, and if you're gonna start Quentin Grimes, and even that, beyond having plus wing defenders, I think part of the reason I having plus wing defenders is so important is because although Jalen Brunson, I don't think he's a de- liability defensively, but he is small, and it's something you have to compensate for. And I think that you need to put him next to strong defenders, and you need to put him next to somebody to either with with if you put Quentin Grimes out there or even Quick, you've got the option of okay, either Quick or Grimes can defend the point of attack while R.J. guards the best wing player or if it's a night where you don't need to worry about the point of attack that way, like, you know, we played the Grizzlies uh, all night, that game where the Grizzlies beat us in the Garden, but Mitch had eight blocks, six of them were on John Morant. uh, Yeah, excellent game. And and I think John Morant was like nine for 28 or something crazy like that. And it was RJ and Quentin Grimes on him all night. That's one of the nights where you need to focus on the point of attack. So you put Grimes on him, you have RJ for a wing defender. If it's a night where you're playing like, you know, a Chicago with DeRozan and Levine, or Boston with uh, Tatum and uh, Brown, you've got two strong, two strong and solid wing defenders, and Quentin Grimes and RJ Barrett. If it's a night where you've got really one premier guy on the wing, you can put Grimes on him and not have RJ be tasked with being the guy who's guarding the best def- player on the other team, and maybe get him more. It's just like having a poor defender on the floor, bro. And it's like Evan Fournier's defense isn't even really a matter of, you know him not wanting to or him not trying, he's simply not capable. It's tough. He, yeah.
1: it's, it's, he's, it's he's, not, he's not athletically built for like uh, starters minutes at the guard in the NBA. It's just not really in the cards for him to be set up to succeed that way. And I'll go a step further. you saying um, Evan Forney is our fourth best option. I'm not the type of person to like overrate, you know, Nick's second round picks. Um, I'm not calling for Deuce McBride to play... In the rotation, day one or anything, I don't, you know, I don't know what his path to minutes will be. I know he'll be in Westchester a lot, but I strongly believe that putting Deuce McBride between Brunson and RJ and having him guard the better of the other team's backcourt players, and I think he could shoot well enough and play make well enough that the defensive benefit would be more than the offensive drawbacks. This is not to slander Evan Fournier; it's about the basketball team that we know that we're about to watch. We know their strengths and weaknesses, and of all the options, like Evan Fournier simply makes the least sense. He just does. And, you know, you need the spacing. I understand. But like we said, there are other guys on this team that can shoot. Fournier may have just broke the record for threes in the reason this season for the Knicks. But, like, I got news for you. That record's going to get broken a lot. It's 2022. As long as you have a guy on your team with a green light who plays starters minutes every year, that record will continue to be broken. And, like, with Deuce McBride, um, if you remember in that, uh, 2012, 2013 season, the way, the way it got started and we got off to like that 16 and four start and we had Ronnie Brewer starting just to play tough defense on the other team's best wing and not play a lot of minutes. He would start and get, from my recollection, like 17 to 20 minutes. I think Deuce McBride in that role, more beneficial to the Knicks than Evan Fournier, you know, because like, we know that Tibbs doesn't even trust Fournier. How often did Fournier close? He would have to be on a heater to close. He still trusted quickly more, but doesn't trust quickly enough to play in the first quarter or play in the third. Quickly going to come in with a minute or two left in the third, close the game, be gassed by the end, and still manage to be our most efficient fourth quarter player. You know, like, you got to commend him for that, but it's not ideal to ask that of him.
0: Yeah, man. And I, I don't get that either, because even when people talk about the playmaking, like, and it's, it's it's turning into an Evan Fournier slam fest. But it's not an Evan Fournier slam fest. It's just logic. Like, I don't need if, if, if like, somebody, if somebody in my mentions, is like, oh, for 28, 48, 20 point per game score this year. Just watch. And I would just, like, honestly, bro, like, I would love for him to do that on any of the 29 other teams. But if Evan Fournier was scoring 20 points a game here, I would be miserable. Miserable because that means he's got way too much usage. Evan Forney, he's never averaged 20 in in a game in his career. And he had that one year in Orlando, he got like 19.6 or 19.8, whatever, but like they weren't a good team. Like we would not be a good team. Evan, between Jalen Brunson, has to have the brunt of the playmaking. He will. That'll be his job. I'm glad he's here for that 100%. I think RJ should get the second most touches. He should have RJ should be our secondary playmaker easily. Like, and I think RJ's already not going to get enough touches. I think Randall's going to get some playmaking touches. I think he's going to relinquish a lot with, with having a real point guard with Jalen Brunson, whatever, like their system that they trust now, whatever. Um, and, you know, he even said that in his presser. And I thought that was encouraging. Like, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I can focus on other things like hitting the boards and picking rolls, blah, blah, blah. I hope he means all that. Um, but either way, I think that even regard, like Julius Randle is also above Evan Fournier on the playmaking pecking order. Yeah. And so. If we've got a starting lineup with those three, I don't need playmaking from the two, and I also don't think that Fournier is a better playmaker than either Emmanuel Quickly or, honestly, after I mean, and it's only summer league that we've seen it in, but like, and we saw it some last year. Quentin Grimes has some playmaking chops. If we can call Evan Fournier a playmaker, then I'm calling Quentin Grimes one too. Because- Quentin Grimes,
1: yeah, Quentin Grimes is solid enough to hold up if a double comes at him or if pressure comes at him. Like I. Usually assume that it's a turnover if someone presses up on Fournier. Fournier plays basketball the way I play basketball. Like, I'm not trying to do much aside from, like, take a couple set-up dribbles and sidestep and shoot a three. That's all I can do. I'm not athletic. That's what I'm going to do. Except for the rare occasion that I'll, you know, bust something out and pull my hamstring. I just don't expect it from Fournier, and I don't see why we should. And I don't see what is wrong with Evan Fournier coming off the bench. There's nothing wrong with it. He's not going to have to guard as good of players when he's coming off of the bench. He could still get like comparable minutes to what he gets as a starter since he rarely closes, but there's more defense with that second unit to an extent, like, you know, in relation to the competition that they'll face. I don't think Evan Fournier is a liability on the second unit. Tom Thibodeau sets p- players up to fail. Evan Fournier is going to have to guard one of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard when we play the Clippers. What's the reason? What's the reason for that at all? There's no reason for that. Coming off the bench, you're talking about, like, this is going to be the third year in a row that I expect to have the best bench in the league. I know even if if it was Fournier, it would be great. But even if not, opening night, it's going to be Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Obi Topp, and Isaiah Hartenstein. That is such a good bench. But this is going to be another year that the Knicks have maybe the best bench in the league and the bench that is going to play the fewest minutes at the same time. It's like there have been times in the past where the Knicks – We're like top three in three-point percentage taking the lowest attempts in the league. You can't shoot yourself in the foot like that. You can't artificially lower your ceiling like that. You have to go with what helps the team win basketball games. And Tom Thibodeau supposedly like lays awake at night thinking of ways for the Knicks to win basketball games. I just, if you're thinking so much, he said earlier today, I think it was earlier today or it was yesterday. Nobody studies the game harder than I do like why study something and then never change how you approach it ever no change ever what are you studying what was the reason like you you just study for your driver's test study for your driver's test and then just go do donuts in the parking lot didn't matter that you studied doesn't matter
0: (laughs) that was a perfect analogy you don't know how hard it was for me not to say anything when i saw that tweet because i'm really working hard this year i'm trying my absolute best I don't want to be the slander Tom Thibodeau guy. I don't want to be the war criminal guy. I'm trying to be positive, but he started off the first day of training camp without even for anything, and that pissed me off. And I had to remind myself that I never particularly heard him say clean slate, and that it's only day one of training camp. Quentin Grimes is in a boot today. That is very disheartening. It doesn't help anything? I, I I that does not help our case at all here. Um. So I'm very nervous. But yeah, like I that that was my main concern, and so. When I saw that tweet, I was just like, bro, like you, no one studied this team more than you. And like still, I, I feel like that's an embarrassing thing to say. I do. Even if I, you're
1: not going to make any changes. He's thinking on last year. Yeah, you know, Jalen Brunson, damn near his godson, is in the fold now. And um, Jalen Brunson's really damn good. I'm really happy that he's on the Knicks. But if Tom Thibodeau was thinking last year, everything I'm doing is perfect. But if Jalen Brunson was here then you'd see, you'll all see, it can't be the case. It's got to be a little more than that.
0: Bro, I'm, like, really bewildered. It's the same thing I had last year when he got on the podium after the Miami game when we came back in the fourth quarter. IQ scored 20 in the fourth, and the kids won the game after being down 17. And he was like, oh, you guys don't know. Like, the people on the social media don't know anything. Like, I watch, they don't watch the film three and four times like I do. And it's like, you watch the film three and four times and still put Alec Burks in the six-minute mark in the fourth quarter every single game we can't run any offense? It's like, that. don't tell us that. That's embarrassing. Keep that to yourself. Keep it to yourself that you watched this game three or four times. Cause I only had to watch it once to see you collapse the same way. I will never ever forget, bro. I was it was up here last year. I was working that production job. I got back one night. It was late. I was tired. We were playing the Suns. We were up. I fell asleep. I woke up and we lost the game. And I was like, I don't even, I don't even feel like I missed anything because I've seen that same game 15 times over this year. I think show. I
1: remember that one. I think <laughs> I remember you coming in later to the Slack and being like, what? I'm pretty he sure all that.
0: Oh, he, he uh, Cam Reddish was in there doing well, and for some mm, reason, yeah. Evan forty eight back in the game down the stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and we lost the game where we had like a 15-point lead. and It was another it was big lead that we squandered on the, in a the game that we should have won. Cam Johnson hit that three-point off the backboard or whatever, and it's just like, we've we he kept finding ways to lose basketball games by making the same mistakes over and over and over while telling us that we weren't watching the game enough and so it's like you study this team so much and you're about to come back and do the same exact thing that tanked this team last season I feel like anybody can and once again I can't say that he's about to do it training camp you know it's a couple weeks who knows uh I hope that I just hope that it's really merit-based I have I'm fully confident in Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes to beat Evan Fournier for the job. I just hope that that's allowed to matter when they do. I'm fully confident in Cam Reddish to beat Evan Fournier in training camp. I think he will, but I think he'd bust Evan Fournier's ass. And uh, I, but I want that to be able to matter. So when you say 29 minutes for Evan Fournier as a, star, as a starter, if he's a starter, he probably isn't going to play less than 25 minutes. Yep. And I think that Evan Fournier playing more than I don't think he should be playing. I quite frankly, I've been saying all season, I don't think there's minutes for Fournier here at all especially with Derrick Rose still here. Like, I, I thought that one of them had to go for Quick to be able to play as much as he needs to. And, you know, I feel like Fournier is the one that had to go. I thought Derrick Rose would be a casualty of trying to give a guy more minutes if he were trying to. But I'm glad Rose is still here. I love Derrick Rose. I'm excited to have him here. I'm excited for what he brings to the team. I can't say the same for Evan Fournier. And he would just be in the way. So in that non-up where he's playing 29 minutes and Quick is getting 15 and Graham is getting nine, if Evan Fournier is playing more minutes than playing Grimes and Emmanuel quickly combined. This is a horrible, horrendous failure by everyone involved. And that goes from Tom Thibodeau as the coach. I'm gonna, oh man, like I've been, I'm, I'm one of the last few standing who doesn't hate the front office. But if Evan Fournier plays more minutes than Grimes and quickly combined this season, that's a huge blemish on the front office. I thought the priority numero uno was getting rid of Evan Fournier this season so that we didn't run into this problem. Because at some point, you have to develop the guys who, one, are better players that can help your team better right now. Everybody keeps saying, oh, like you expect him to tank early in the blah, blah, That's not tanking. It's you saw that last year. We saw that people have to stop saying that playing younger players does not mean you're tanking. We have very quality young players and you're supposed to play them and develop them. Imagine RJ's rookie year. If we were like, oh, man, can't get RJ more than 25 minutes. Got to play more Harkless." Like that's that's what's happening right now. Like, what are we doing, bro? Like Evan Forney is not some long term guy we need to be invested in. He's like he's not like he's not him. He just isn't and that's not even the Evan Fournier slight bro it's just like other teams with functional functional teams functional basketball teams whether it's you know any other organization in the league or fantasy basketball like Tom Chibbert likes to call it like if you make a first if you have two first round picks you struck gold at pick number 25 two years in a row <laughs> we
1: go for that. yeah you're artificially capping what you could get out of those guys that you're paying so little to. It's not a long time that you're going to have them on these ridiculously favorable contracts. And they're well, help you now.
0: Sorry to interrupt you, but like beyond that, we just went all summer with this. Oh, like, you know, trying to get these trade assets, whatever, no matter how you view these guys, bro, like no matter what, no matter what take you have, like for me, I love Quentin Grimes. I love Emmanuel Quickly. I think they both have incredibly high ceilings, like so much so to the point where I wasn't really in favor of signing Jalen Brunson. Happy he's here now, but I was like, hey, give the keys to Emmanuel quickly, play him 30, 35 minutes a game, and see what he can do. I think we would have gotten really good results out of that. Whatever, that's not the route they went. I'm glad Brunson's here. I'm really looking forward to it. He's going to do a great job for us, but there's still a path to playing Emmanuel Quickly 25, 30 minutes, and that's whether you view him as a player that can grow here and succeed here, or you view him as Simply an asset, and you want to pump up the asset value so that you can move it in the trade along with those first round picks that you stockpiled. Either way, whichever whichever way the plan is, Evan Fournier playing 29 minutes doesn't help it in any way. There's nothing that Evan Fournier can do. We All last year was, oh, they can adjust. Oh, you got to play uh, as a trading deadline approach. Oh, you got to keep playing. He's got to pump their value. We got to pump Alec Burks' value. Like while he was playing point guard and it was tanking on a nightly basis, we got to pump his Stop it. Uh, nobody is going to uh, – somebody said, oh, man, after what Evan Fournier did in Eurobasket, GMs are going to – his price is going to be different. Evan Fournier has been in the NBA for 11 seasons. There is nothing that anybody's going to see from him that's going to change their perception of him. He is exactly who he thought who we thought he
1: was. Yeah, and I personally thought he was a little bit better of a defender than he's been. Um, I didn't watch a lot of Orlando Magic basketball. There were perennial eight, nine seed. It wasn't much to see there. But I didn't realize how bad he was on defense. And it's really, you've been saying it on Twitter recently, it's not a matter of effort so much with Fournier. He clearly can't get there. He can't move his feet fast enough. He's he's glued to the ground. And, like, even with this super crowded rotation, you were mentioning, you know, like, we have to accept that Derrick Rose is going to be here and we're happy Derrick Rose is going to be here. I spent all summer assuming that Evan Fournier would be the one to go. So I haven't thought that much about what it looks like if Derrick Rose stays and Fournier is the one to go. But I just want to give people a glimpse into what that could look like. If that were the case and Fournier was gone, I think the best way to get quickly the minutes he needs would be to start him in a world where Derek Rose is also there. I think bringing them both off the bench, Rose and Quickly, is a little redundant. Um, and not redundant because we know how well they play together, but Quickly needs more minutes. So I would go with Brunson, Quickly, RJ at the 1, 2, and 3. Derek Rose is that you know six-man point guard type playing in the low 20s somewhere. And then at that point, your backup wings are Grimes and Reddish. And you have, like, probably the best backup wing duo in the league, aside from, like, you know, Melton and Thibault with the Sixers. I don't think very highly of Thibault for his offensive flaws. Um, And then, like, you have an option to close on any given night with one of those three guys, Quickly or Grimes or Reddish. We know that Fournier is not going to close. So if those four guys, he's the guy that you're going to – like not close with, and you know, that probably going in, then why is he the one who's starting? Why is he getting a guaranteed? The one minute in the first quarter is one minute in the fourth quarter. It just how it works. Points are points. It's like what's a pound of feathers versus a pound of bricks. It's like that, you know? So this, we're going to pretend that it's okay to go down 13 against an opponent. That's like, you know, similar quality to you and then have the bench make the comeback every single time and then pretend that, like, oh, well, it wouldn't go that way if the bench had to play more. We haven't seen the bench against starters. We have over and over again in the fourth quarter. We have seen five bench players or four bench players and one starter lead 20-point comebacks. I don't remember how much the Bucs were up by on us, but what was that game where the Knicks beat the Bucs after being, what, down twenty six? I I think that was something insane, but that wasn't even surprising. I didn't feel like we were out of the game. I didn't because I knew the bench could do anything. The bench is special. And the bench is the young guys that you drafted as a front office. Why do you not want them? Why do you not want them in the game? Why is the fact that, you know, why is the fact that Leon Rose has this relationship with Tibbs? Obviously, for those who don't know, uh, Leon was Tibbs' agent. Perfectly normal networking there to get Tibbs the job. But the fact that they have that close relationship is going to give Tom Thibodeau this much leeway. Like when the Knicks originally hired Tibbs, this will be my last point on this. When they originally hired him, people were saying, oh, this could go pretty well if he has a good relationship with the front office and if there's accountability for him. And this is Tom Thibodeau is turning 65 in January. This is the least accountability that he's ever faced. Like this is the most green light that he has had to be Tom Thibodeau. And we're talking about the most valuable franchise in the NBA, the most tortured fans aside from maybe Sacramento Kings fans in the NBA. And we're just going to let Tom Thibodeau run this however he sees fit. I don't think it's sensible.
0: Yeah, man. Once again, like that, that quote, it's, it's only the first day of training camp. I hope he's not locked into that. He just hasn't been one to previously not get locked into his first idea. So there's not a lot of hope there, but, um, you know, I, I saw a clip on Twitter the other day and I think it was, um, I think it was Byron Scott and he was, th- he was on some podcast and he was talking about like what happened in, or was he New Orleans, wherever he was, but he was coaching there and he was just like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play who I want. I'm going to play who I want that I think they had a couple of things they wanted. Like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, like, because if I play with these guys and it doesn't go well, you're going to fire me. And so if I'm gonna get fired one way or another, I'm gonna get fired playing who I want to play or who I believe in. And so you know, I I I didn't hold the front office responsible last year as responsible, especially after we brought Cam in, because it was clear that there was like some kind of thing there where Tibbs wasn't too eager to play Cam. And it's like okay, they traded a the first round pick for him, so I'm sure they want him to play. And I was like, I I was a firm believer. It's like yo, I don't know, and I'm not gonna to pretend to know the dynamic between the front office and the coach for any team, but especially for this Nick team right now for where like they can tell him what he should be playing and what their relationship is. But it's like, whether you, you retain tips coming into this year, I was one of the loudest people in the world that I thought he deserved to be fired after last season, regardless of winning coach the year the year before last year, was just really one of the worst displays of coaching I've ever seen in NBA history. Don't care. It was really, really bad. Maybe I haven't watched every other team as closely, so I wouldn't know. But like what I saw was really horrible. We lost six games that we had 20 point leads in and it all happened over the span of like a month and a half. We went 18 games and only won one of them from like the late January to the early March. And he started out like so many things. We all we we were all there. Um, And so I thought he had to go. I thought he didn't match what we were trying to do they said they're keeping them. Okay, whatever, I can talk myself, I'm a firm believer that like, hey man, just because I want that to happen or think it makes sense doesn't mean they have to do it or they should do it. I feel like a lot more fans should adopt that. Like people think, hey, if they didn't do exactly what I said they should do, then they're stupid and they're wrong. Um, it doesn't work that way. They don't know, you don't always give what you want. So if you felt like, if they felt like, hey, we don't want to fire this guy, we know that things went wrong, Derrick Rose got hurt, whatever, we can give him a better team, whatever you want to call it. Okay, you give them another year. But in that year, in that offseason, it was in this past offseason, it was the front office's responsibility to remove anything that could have gotten in the way. And so I think that removing, getting rid of Campbell, cool. That was a no-brainer. Everybody knew that was going to happen. Um, Alec Burst not coming back. All right, good. You got off of that. You got off of Noah. Noelle. A lot of that was to clear the space for Jalen Brunson, but whatever. Good move. You cleared the space and also removed some of those vet toys. You didn't bring back Todd Gibson. Now, now at the five, we have Mitch Hartenstein and Jericho Sims, three very young options. Versatility, that's great. Great job there. Uh you, you, Randall, I I kind of wanted to move on from him and give Obi a shot. I think that Obi deserved a shot. Whatever you kept Randall. Randall's a good basketball player. I can understand not wanting to trade him at his lowest value. And you know, whatever, you have a relationship with him, you think he can bounce back, you get a point guard, put him in a better situation. All that's fine. It makes sense. Evan Fournier had to go. He had to go. Especially if we come into the season and he's playing 29 minutes and starting. And getting, because like you said, we play Paul George and Kawhi, he's going to have to guard Paul George and Kawhi. We play the Celtics, he's going to have to guard Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. We play the Bulls, he's going to have to guard Levine or Jamar DeRozan. Last year, or the first two times, RJ missed the third game, we played against the Bulls. And I can't remember exactly what happened in the fourth one in terms of like the numbers or whatever. But in the first two games we played against the Bulls, RJ guarded Zach Levine primarily in both of those games. And Zach Levine was shooting 30%. And DeRozan was cooking us. And it was like, there's nothing you can do. And so you're this all every night you're gonna have to. I just don't think it's smart to have Fournier in that position. I don't think it's smart to have, once again, you hit on 25, the 25th pick two years in a row. You get Cam Reddish for a very, 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 very heavily protected, protected first round pick that apparently. Everybody thinks protected picks are worthless, and that one was more heavily protected than any ones required. So you get cameras for that, that's a good move. But it's a good move, you give them the chance to play basketball. And if you don't create an opportunity for especially for a young team, you did all this stuff in the offseason. You your whole uh, message to the fans was, hey, we believe in our young core, blah, blah, blah. If your message is that you believe in your young core and you make me watch Evan Fournier play more minutes than Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes combined, I'm going to scream. And I don't want to scream this year, bro. So I really hope that's not the case. But I, they left it in Tibbs' hands. They said that. Leon said that in the interview. And, you know, like, I don't think that Tibbs can fully be trusted with that. I think that in order to put a, put a situation in place that was optimal for everybody, for the, for the message. that the Because, like, at this point, last year was, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the front. I can't really blame the front office for what Tibbs does. If that happens again this year and there's things that don't make sense, I'm blaming the front office. Because you had an offseason to rectify
1: the problem and you allowed it to continue. Yeah. And I object to the entire premise of takeaway Tibbs toys because, like I said earlier, it's the most valuable franchise in the NBA. You can afford and you can attract a coach for whom you don't need to manipulate the roster just so that he makes defensible decisions with it. That's how I feel. I think a lot of people, I'm not an unforgiving person in general, I'm not a closed minded person. But I think where I differ from a lot of people is that I think the Knicks should have the best of everything. James Dolan has deep pockets and has always shown a willingness to spend. You can't really critique him on that, but what does he spend it on? He made Phil Jackson the highest paid executive in the league, you know, greatest coach of all time. What does that have to do with running it? It's like what Kanye said about Lady Gaga and the, uh, you know, what does that have to do with cameras? I like some of the Gaga songs. I'm sorry, I'm using a lot of analogies here, but I'm just trying to make sense of all of this. And so Um, Look, we could we could go off about this like for the entire episode easily make it two episodes, make it three. make it a series, we could make it a 24 episode series. Why is Tibbs doing this to me, honestly, we call it why is Tibbs doing this to me. But another topic that we wanted to cover is and you know, taking into account not what we would do with this roster, but what Tibbs will do, based on the evidence we have. Where do we think the Knicks are going to end up in the Eastern Conference this year? We see a lot of people theorize on this. I think most people are in something of an agreement. I think a lot of people are expecting play-in. We'll always have people expecting better than play-in, of course. But I'm going to run through it, give you my thoughts, and we'll see how you feel. So I've got last year's standings in front of me. That's what I'm going to be working off of. Um, But here's the teams that, in my opinion, we can expect to see up at the top. Uh, Even with all their flux, the Celtics. The Celtics have a great roster. It's awful what happened with Gallinari getting injured before the year. But that Brogdon addition is, like, how did they get him for that price? Having Brogdon, Derek White, and Marcus Smart, those are three guys that every team would love to have one of them. Um, And, you know, they're coming off of a finals run. Their young players are their best players. They'll get better. The Sixers think are going to be really really damn good the bucks are going to be really damn good the heat are a regular season juggernaut the nets after all of this still have their guys and they have ben simmons obviously the biggest wild card of all time maybe in any sport but they've got ben simmons they have kd they have Kyrie. so those are that's one two three four five teams cleveland with donovan mitchell i am sky high on what that looks like six teams ahead of the knicks From there, we talk about the Bulls, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Wizards. That gets you to 10 teams. And I think I haven't mentioned the Raptors. So when I look at it, it's going to be, in my opinion, with everyone healthy. The battle for that last playing spot comes down to the Wizards, the Knicks, maybe the Charlotte Hornets. And if one of the, the Bulls, Raptors, Hawks has injuries or they have some problems with chemistry, maybe they'll be in that mix as well. But I think that the Knicks right now, I would pick them to be 11th. I would pick them to be the um, you know last person from the outside looking in. Last and so
0: It's tough for me. Um, it's always for the past couple of years, especially. I think ever since that year when we got the fourth seed, I, it got tough for me to predict like the one through eight for Eastern and Western, like just because, you know, there's so many different variables, injuries, things like that. Um, but, it, and so it's like, what do I think this team could be? I think this team could mess around and grab a seed. Um, but if this team is playing Evan 48, 29 minutes tonight, then I don't think that's going to happen. And so that's the part that's confusing. Um, I, I think this team optimally used with Jalen Brunson here. Um, I think that, and, and it's funny because, you know, in Tim's first year, he really like was so impactful on just like how I even approach life. Like the whole, like, you know, one game at a time, one day at a time, like just keep your head down and ground like that really, that's how that season went. And that's how we were able to climb the standings. So when I look around, it's like those teams can do whatever they want. If we manage to win the game that is in front of us on tonight, like if we have 45, 47, whatever many wins, then we're in these conversations. We can, like, we, we're in, like, you know, the, the standings shake themselves out. And so I think we're capable on a nightly basis. Um, and I think this team can get 45 to even maybe 50 wins depending on how it was used. If we used it properly, I don't think we'll use it in a way that can get us 50 wins. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not penciling Boston in. I wasn't even penciling Boston in beforehand. They have a great roster, 100%. But I think uh, the imei Udoka thing really hurts them. And I think Robert Williams being out for what, three to four months is a, re- a really big deal for them. That's very unfortunate. Yeah, very unfortunate for them. And so I think they're vulnerable. I think the Bulls are already thought the Bulls were food and now they're injured. The Blonzo said he can't run a jump. That's a big deal. And so, you know, I think there's a bunch of teams where it's like, I mean, OK, the uh, the Nets are going to be there. Um, and even with them last year, it got wild. But the Nets are going to be there. The Sixers are going to be good. Uh, the Bucs will be good. And even sometimes the Bucs slide a little bit in regular season, but the Bucs will be good. Um, and who am I leaving out? Uh, the Nets, the Sixers? Hawks, the maybe? No, I don't, I don't even have the Hawks as one of those teams. It's definitely going to be good. Nets, Sixers, Hawks. I mean, Nets, Sixers, Bucks. Um, Those are teams where it's like, yo, know, these teams are like definitively better than us, no matter what. Like those teams are just better than us. Um, I don't, after that, like, I think it's kind of up for grabs. Like, honestly, in my opinion, this might look stupid at the end of the year, but I don't think the Boston is like, you know, guaranteed to be great. I don't even feel that way about the Miami Heat. I think that losing PJ Tucker is going to be a big deal for them. I think that if they deal with some kind of injury, Eric Sposer is an excellent coach. They're a good team, but like, they don't put fear on my heart. Like, you know, there's a lot of teams that don't put fear in my heart. So I think the Knicks could easily sniff a top five, top six spot. But, you know, if we, play like every 48, 29 minutes a game, I
1: think we're closer to 11 than we are to five or six. Yeah, there's there's a difference though. I think it's worth noting like the teams that don't put a fear in our heart. And I agree with you, like you know, on a single game basis, I think the Knicks could take all those teams you mentioned. I think they could take any team on a single game basis, but it's the reality of the regular season and the fact that to grind out wins in the regular season, you need to be open to adjusting. You need to be making adjustments to crank out every last bit of efficiency out of the group you've got if you're going to be the best possible regular season team. And think about a coach like Taylor Jenkins in the Western Conference with the Grizzlies. What was their record without Jaw last year? It was something absurd. It was 17 and 3, 17 and 2 it was something like that. They have a lot of talent on that team. Do they have enough talent to lose their best player and win every game like that? No. But that is a coach who like, you know, he knows how to chase a regular season win based on whoever. Based on I don't know if Brandon Clark's going to close. I don't know if Xavier Tillman's going to play tonight. I don't know if Santi Aldama's going to play tonight. But I'm going to throw whatever at the wall and see if it sticks. Tom Thibodeau's not going to do that. Tom Thibodeau's got his guys that he's loyal to, even though it seems like he doesn't even like Evan Fournier. I don't want to get sidetracked again, but how many times do he scream at Fournier? You know, it seems like he likes quickly better than Fournier. He just like... Someone told him 15 years ago, if you ever play a vet below a young guy, I will kill you. And that seems like it's how he's responded in his whole coaching career. And so I, you know, going into this episode, I wanted to discuss what's the high end for the Knicks, what's the low end, and what causes either. To me, the high end for the Knicks, I don't think can happen under Tibbs, but there's always a possibility Tibbs gets fired. There's always... We already heard you know, World Wide West maybe prefers Johnny Bryant sooner than later. I don't know if there were any legs to that, but it could happen. So if the Knicks were coming into the season with a coach that we didn't know their habits down to a T, I would go as high as fifth and sixth. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that they have a chance to get up there. But the lineups that I think are the difference maker for the Knicks that give them this higher ceiling, we're not going to see that. I think that building around a Jalen Brunson and OB pick and roll and putting between them, Quickly, Grimes, and RJ, is the most fun and the highest ceiling lineup that we have. Again, like that's a, that's a Jalen Brunson and Obi pick and roll. We know how dangerous Obi is on the pick and roll. Even Valak Burks is the point guard. Jalen Brunson is very, very, very good. Great pick and roll operator. Obi has a ton of gravity because he won the dunk contest. And he very rarely misses at the rim if he has even a remotely decent look. And then between them, you've got Quickly, Grimes, and RJ. These are like our five, you know, the fans who are they most invested in is those five guys. Brunson, RJ, Grimes, Quickly, Obi, probably. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anyone. You know, we love Mitch. But that's, that's modern NBA offense. That's Obi Toppin, playmaking, rim running five, good point guard in Brunson, wings that can defend um, and, you know, create a little bit for themselves and shoot. Uh, but we're not going to, if that lineup plays one minute, like, I'll tattoo Tip's face on my hand. It's not going to happen.
0: And, you know, the thing is, like, and that's the thing, because the front office did a good job other than not getting rid of Fournier. Because Hartenstein being there allows us to do a couple different things and get kind of tricky with lineups because of his ability to space the floor and pass. But to be honest, and this sounds crazy, people may, like, think I'm wilding or whatever, <laughs> rather than having Evan Fournier on the court at all, I'd rather sneak some OB minutes with him at the three. Or with randall at the three and just have like you know uh brunson or quick whatever um grimes randall Obi and hartenstein and space the floor a little bit so that it didn't matter so much that we weren't getting the greatest spacing in that lineup um just to be able to get like that's that i think that's what's more important like we need creative ways to get our best players on the floor like you said like we guys who are going to impact the game and have a positive impact on the game. I don't think that, you know, and everybody said, and, you know, Tip said that as well, once we got back to this, whatever, but you know, with the, oh, you know, with Jalen and RJ and Julius that we're gonna need shooting. Okay, well, they're not, Evan Fournier is not the only player that can shoot, bro. Like, Quinn Grimes is a great shooter. Like you said, he shot a higher percent on question shoot threes than Evan did. We saw his ability to get hot and be a microwave in a game. Emmanuel Cook is a great shooter. Like, we, he's not, people act like Evan Fournier is the only place that we get shooting from, like, <laughs> The shooting he provides is not It's not like the thing. And I said this. I think I said this on our last podcast. I said it a million times. With Julius, I've I've said from the beginning. Like even though I wanted to prioritize Obi and move on, if Julius was still here when it was starting, I was gonna get right back on stand. Stand Julius. Whatever. I believe in him turning it around. I don't think he's gonna be as bad as he was last year. And I think his attitude will be better. I think he's pretty self-aware. He looked happy and media day. I'm cool. Whatever. I'm here. Like I'm a Julius fan, because at the end of the day, Julius can do a lot of things that will really help this basketball team one way or another, whether people like him or not. I don't think that's the case for Evan Fournier. I don't think Evan Fournier is so much better than his counterparts and other people that should be getting those wing minutes that it warrants him. You know, and I feel like we're just repeating ourselves now, but it, it just seems so simple to me that like I, it'll be very hard to wrap my head around if there's another season of us having to watch Evan Fournier starting, bro. Especially not, like, that's not how we should be moving. Like, you know, the Celtics last year, when they got to the finals, I forgot which broadcast it was. It might have been game one of the playoffs. But they were just like, you know, one of the things the Celtics did was that they removed the players from their team last year who couldn't play defense. And that made them a lot better. If you got a guy on the floor who can't guard his man for 30 minutes, you're going to be a worse team. You're going to look worse as a unit. Yes, we got we were 11th ranked as a defense, I believe, last year. But like that doesn't mean we can't be better. Like I don't want to be... A, like if, if we were 11th ranked with Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker as a backcourt, I think that if you got Grimes and RJ on the wings, then we can probably be a top-five defense.
1: Like We have the tools and we have the coach to be a top-five defense. Yeah, it's like Tibbs gets a lot defensively out of the guys that he puts on the court. But how often does he choose the best five guys defensively? He doesn't. It's funny to see him not prioritize it. Very wild to me, man. Very. It's something I definitely can't understand. And another thing with Tibbs, we've seen this over and over again in his coaching career. He's not very creative, um, you know, with his sets. He's got his principles defensively. He doesn't adjust them too much on a game-to-game basis. Even if Grayson Allen just hit his eighth three against us, that's the game I think that we came back in. By the way. That one was killing me. That was tough to watch. But Tibbs has always been relying on having one superstar type of creator on the perimeter um, who's going to make up for the fact that we're not running complicated sets. When you don't have a star-studded team, that's where coaching makes a huge difference. We've seen objectively not the best coaches crank out 50 wins. You know, like Vinny Del Negro, you give him Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, he won a bunch of games. But with a roster like the, ones, the one that the Knicks have right now, there's no prime Derek Rose to make up for the fact that, you know, you're not doing everything you can to get certain guys open. You're relying on one guy to do that. Now the Knicks went 10 games above 500 in tips for a season, that COVID-shortened 72-game season, because Julius Randle for that one season was that player. But Julius Randle played at a superstar playmaker level. I think he was at 24, 10, and six. Eye test confirms it off the dribble of threes. Julius Randle was an absolute animal that season, but the next season Tibbs wants to do the exact same thing. And it turns out that Julius Randle is still pretty good, but maybe not every year you can get all NBA second team from him. And I think that Tibbs solution and his expectation this year is I'm going to do the same thing again, but now I have Jalen Brunson, who I think of as an all-star type of creator. I don't think that Tim spends all summer like he suggests watching film and trying to brainstorm new ways, new inventive ways that the game of basketball can be played. I think that he wants to his team to defend a certain way and he wants the players that he decides to trust on day one to step up. If they don't step up, he'll say after the game, they'll step up next game. We'll do it every week and every month for the whole season until he pats himself on the back because some vets are injured for the last 15 games. The young guys play, the young guys play well. And then Tom Thibodeau can say, I got, I kept them ready all year. You know, I was, I always trusted these guys. I always trust them. What do you mean? I didn't trust them. We just, you know, our rotation is our rotation. Like you, you can't let someone gaslight you when they're not good at it. He's always very obviously lying. Um, Reporters who have access to the team need to be asking follow-up questions. Like Tib said that Obi Toppin and Julius Randle, you know, the numbers say it doesn't work. Bondi asked him that question. I don't know if Bondi tried to follow it, up, if, uh, follow it up. If he did, it didn't make it to print. But that was a lie. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but he got hit with a this you from like half of Twitter. Seth Partnow was on that. Nikias Duncan was on that. Like, you know, you can say that, you can just say that you don't prefer it. You can say that you don't think this year the numbers will show that it's good. But you can't just go out, or, or you can, because no one's going to check you on it. But you shouldn't just go out and say, the numbers said this when they didn't, because you're just lying or you're admitting that you don't know what the numbers say and you're getting like $6 million a year to coach an NBA team, a New York NBA team, and you don't know what works and what doesn't, how can that be? How is that acceptable? Why are we accepting that? I don't even have to say fire Tibbs. I think people know how I feel about, you know, the Knicks should be seeking the best possible coach. I don't think Tibbs is the best possible coach. So I'm not expecting a lot out of him personally um i am hoping that we will have these same players at least the same young core and a different coach at some point in the future obviously johnny bryan is the name that comes to mind but we will see
0: yeah and that's a great point that's something i wanted to talk about on here as well and you know you tweeted today and it was perfect it was like yeah he says oh the numbers don't work for obi and rand or whatever which was wrong as most people pointed out to him like you said but also it's just like so wait so, so when do we care about the numbers because you started out for Peyton for 72 games or 60, 70 games. I think he was out for two of them. We started out for Peyton 72 games. And I, I know the numbers didn't say he was good. I, I Emmanuel quickly has had our best plus minus and been all of our best lineups, all of our best rated lineups over the past, like two years have included Emmanuel quickly in almost every permutation. And yet he fights to get over 20 minutes a game. So Alec Burks started however many games, at point guard last year. And I know the numbers did, weren't favorable to that. So like, at what point, Julius Randle, Julius Randle ISOs last year, he was literally last in the NBA. With a, I think the minimum was for 500 attempts, whatever whatever the minimum was. It was like a high-volume isolation score. His efficiency was the lowest in the entire league out of everybody, and that was our primary faction of offense. So it's just like our, our, our primary method of offense. So it's just like, what, what when do it, what? I don't understand. We can't pick and choose when we're using numbers. This whole he said the same thing. It was not fantasy basketball. No one studies this team like me. The numbers said, blah, blah, blah. Just like he tries to do this whole holier than now, smartest guy in the room thing. And it's just like, yeah, but you're wrong. Like to, people say that to me sometimes. They're like, oh, like you think you're the smartest guy in the room. And I, in my opinion, it's like, if you think that I think I'm smarter than everyone, you just think you're dumb. Yeah, because really I take care like, about your own takes. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't really say anything. I never said I'm smarter than everybody. I just, if, if something doesn't make sense, I'm going to say, hey, that doesn't make sense. And if me pointing out something that doesn't make sense makes you feel like I'm the holier than whatever. Like, But if, if you can't have that stance of like, hey, like, you know, you guys don't know as much as I do, and then say dumb shit that's wrong, especially now when it's your job to do. So, so it's just like that makes no sense to me. And, like, I, I really wish that, you know, because the, the the media and the beat and whatever, and I'm not, this isn't singled out at any single reporter, you know, I love a lot of the guys, like, I love Ian Begley, I'm not, like, it's not singled out at any single reporter at all. But, like, the media in general cried so much about, hey, like, you're, you know, you're not letting us in there, like, you know, the Knicks are doing this, they don't want to answer the hard-hitting questions and blah, 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 blah. And then you get in there and all they wanted to do was ask Jalen Brunson about Tamp Ring, to which he said, uh, no, the lead didn't reach out to me. Um, yeah, no, that I, I didn't think about that at all. Of course, what, what did you think he was going to say? That's not real, like we didn't need that. They asked RJ about uh, the trade rumors. And honestly, I'm glad for that question because I loved RJ's answer to it and putting it to bed. But, like, those aren't the answers we need. Like, the media needs to be – when you – when – it's the New York media. It's supposed to be, oh, these guys are so tough, big and bad. But, blah, oh, you can't – they're always so tough on the players. They want to make up stories about cameras requesting trades. But like, be the
1: tough New York media when the coach is saying some bullshit. Yeah, like, is it – this isn't the 80s. Like, you know, Berman, Berman wasn't, like, there with a with a smirk, ashing a cigarette on the ground, asking, like, you know, these extremely difficult-to-answer questions. This isn't that old-fashioned New York sports – that I don't. Pers- I've never seen any any group of reporters hold the team super accountable. Like, are you kidding me? Why does why do the Knicks need to be protected from the media? You know, we're gonna get pushback on this because people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, we don't learn anything new from the traditional media, and the Knicks can do it however they want." Okay, like that Leon Rose interview, you know, with MSG Networks, we didn't learn anything from that. The entertainment value wasn't high. And the Knicks are the only team out of 30 teams that are operating that way. Why do the Knicks get the benefit of the doubt to buck the way that media has gone in this league for years and years and years? The Knicks can't be the team to do it. I'm sorry. like The Knicks can't be the team to decide, you don't get access to us because you're not appreciating this product we're putting in front of you. It's a joke. And a lot of people are happy with or they're saying... Like you know, don't be overly critical of the front office. Like we've had way worse in the past. Because I called this front office earlier my least favorite. Someone's like least favorite. What about Phil Jackson? What about Isaiah Thomas? And I was like, no, they're not as bad as as those. Like you know, the results are not nearly as bad. But the dynamic here with Tibbs, um, it just it doesn't do it for me. I don't. I'm not a fan of the experience as a fan. It doesn't mean that I'm not really happy we have all of our first round picks. We have some other teams 1st round picks. We have young players we like. But none of that matters if you're not going to be willing to trade the picks. None of that matters if you're not willing to play the young players or bring in a coach who will play those young players. So, yeah, like, we have a lot more to be happy about now than we have in the past. But it's being held back by very obvious factors, by Tibbs, you know, and and, and what he's willing to do with the lineup. Yeah,
0: I, I, I'm not uh... – I can't meet your least favorite. I, I, I've endured some very rough years. Um, Phil Jackson was bad. Isaiah Thomas was the worst.
1: Oh, wait, I would chime in to say I'm being a prisoner at the moment because I just remembered I was, I was right over there uh, in my bed where I woke up in the morning and saw that Phil Jackson had been fired. And I actually think that was the happiest day of my life. So, yeah, you know, like we definitely mm-hmm. hyperbolizing, but I'm not happy right now. And not happy right now has been my state far too often with the Knicks. So yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of of Leon Rose, but redemption can come. The redemption can come. We'll see see what happens with Devin Booker and this. You know, DeAndre Ayton looks miserable. You, you I think you've touched on it. You know, Phoenix doesn't look so hot right now. So I don't want to. I don't want to go full speed into this, but I, I got a relationship. Off, right? you know,
0: Phoenix might be crumbling. I, I don't know exactly what that's about. You know I mean? Well, the DeAndre Aiden thing is like, hey, man, you really actively tried to trade this guy, like, really, 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 really badly before you ever approached him about, like, a contract. And then somebody, after a while, when the talk stalled out and you couldn't get Kevin Durant, somebody approached him and used him for his value, which is a max, And all of a sudden, you mashed it just for the sake of not losing him for nothing. So I can feel him not being thrilled about being there. But, like, he's really showing that he's not thrilled about being there, which is crazy. Jay Crowder isn't coming. He's like, yeah, I'm not coming into camp. I don't want to be there. Um, The owner is, you know, doing what he does. And they, they were selling whatever. There's just a lot going on over there. Chris Paul is, what, 38? That situation is very dicey. It could end up, you know, all blowing up. I can't live in that reality anymore. I'm tired. I've been tired of the whole trade saga. Ooh, this person might, blah, blah, blah. I can't do that anymore. Um, If it happens and they're, you know, doing a fire sale or whatever, and we're able to jump in on Mikael Bridges or Devin Booker or whatever, that'd be wonderful. If not, I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, But even with the, uh, honestly, in terms of the whole media thing, I might be in a minority, but I I don't really care. I don't. I don't. For me, like I said, everything for me is logic-based. And it's like when they didn't let the media in. When they did the fir- the first thing they did for it was Jalen Brun- Brunson introduction. I understood it. It made sense. I, why would I bring you, like we have, especially like with how much Jalen means to them and all that, and just as a person even. But like in just in terms of how to operate, it's like we just made this. Ho- we just signed this this big contract with this guy. He's coming here. He's gonna be the. He's you know he's our starting point guard. You want to come in here to ask me about tampering and Donovan Mitchell trade rumors. I'm not going to allow you to come in here and turn the Jalen Brunson introductory conference into the Donovan Mitchell trade rumor saga. I'm not. I'm simply not allowing you to do that because that's what you want to come in here and do. The same way they get to media. That's my thing. Like When people say, oh, the Knicks don't get to do this, the Knicks are not covered the way that any other team is covered. I don't care what anybody says. That might sound like a homer statement. i have been watch, uh, to the point where I almost don't like to watch mainstream media anymore because they don't cover us that way. They, the, the main coverage of the Knicks is Stephen A. being the mouthpiece of the fan base that he's not in touch with at all and kind of like, you know, characterizing us. And so I would understand not necessarily wanting the mainstream media, you know, like you got Bonnie writing hit pieces about, oh, like RJ Barrett deserved better, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, 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 I get it. Is it how I would operate? I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. But, like, yeah, I don't need them to come in here and make the Jalen Brunson introductory conference about Donovan Mitchell, and that's what they want to do, and that's that's what they're defending the right to do. Because I feel like, especially after seeing things like this continued, and it was highlighted now with the whole, like, you know, Tom Thibodeau thing and the comments, it's just, like, the numbers thing. Nobody's saying anything about that. Room full of reporters. Nikaias doesn't report on the Knicks. He's not a Knicks reporter. He's not a Knicks fan. He's not a Knicks guy. But immediately when he saw that, he was like, uh, weren't those? Like, so reporters should know that. Reporters yeah. should be aware of that. If it's your job to cover the Knicks and you're in there and he said something like that, you should be able to respond with that. Absolutely so, right. If you don't, then it sounds like you're prioritizing being messy and asking about tampering and trade rumors more than you're prioritizing basketball. And if you're not prioritizing basketball, then I'm sorry. I don't care that you're not being let in. I don't give a shit. I can't pretend I do.
1: Yeah, I just think it's like a matter of journalistic ethics, like, would you rather have access to the team? And would you rather have access to the team, or write the most factual information that you can? And if writing the most factional, the, the most factual story, um, if writing the most factual story means you're going to lose access to the team, it's still what you need to do. It's still what you're supposed to do. Like, you don't need to ask your personal one or two questions of the coach directly, or the GM or anyone. In order to write your story, you can get that information elsewhere. So I think that like sugarcoating or like treating someone like Tibbs with kid gloves. I'm sure Bondi. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know what Bondi knows and doesn't know. But Bondi probably knows that that wasn't an accurate statement. And if he didn't follow up again, I didn't. I wasn't there. But I don't think he followed up because I think he would have tweeted the follow up of Tibbs' answer. So I just. You mentioned the national media. The national media coverage of the Knicks is disgusting. It's it's very infuriating. I'm not going to pretend that it's fair at all. If we're talking like ESPN Knicks coverage, it's a joke. Like, it's nauseating. You can't even watch it. They don't even come close to being right. You know, shout out to Richard Jefferson, friend of the, friend of the program, I guess. But he has been extremely loud and wrong about some Knicks stuff in the past. I can't remember the specific examples. You might... Um, You know, and then he doubled down on it, which I think is reckless for you know um, a member of ESPN because that's what most people are going to watch, and we get clowned left and right. Look, this is not what's important—is our pride and our egos as Knicks fans. But we should be clowned on the facts. Like, you got to clown us for the actual facts. How many times have we made the playoffs in the last however many years? Yeah, but you know, just because the national media tells you that, like, oh, Obi Obi Toppin's a bust. Look how few minutes he's playing it doesn't work that way. Like you do have to watch the Knicks at least somewhat to know what's going on here. And I, I would think that you will find that if you do watch the Knicks, it'll be easy, easy to diagnose what's going on with the Knicks. So I would implore people to watch us. Cause even though I'm not expecting too much from the Knicks this season, it's an interesting team with really interesting players and players who are easy to root for like RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, OB Toppin, and Quinn Grimes, that that core group is my favorite that we've ever had. And so I hate that. And maybe I need to work on this. Maybe I need to talk to someone about this, a professional. I need to, to maybe focus on the positives with this team. I just think that the things that are the most positive about this team, they're not given the chance to flourish. Um, you know, not given the space to really grow. And like I made a joke earlier in our Slack, Nick's basketball, as far as I'm concerned, takes place between like 8.14 p.m. and like 8.40 when the second unit is on the course on the court at a predictable hour at the beginning of the second quarter. Like that's the time where my volume's up the loudest. That's the time where the fans are the loudest. If we're covering the game, you or I or anyone at the Knicks wall on Twitter, that's when the engagement is the highest. Like that is the team that the fans want to see. And the numbers also want to see it. And what I wanted to mention earlier is that if the numbers say that these young players help us win and the eye test, As someone who watches the game tells you that when these young players come in, we erase the lead um, of the other team. Or uh, if it's a tie, take the lead. Either way, the bench outscores the other team's bench. The bench is our young players. If you don't trust the numbers or the eye test, what do you believe in as a fan? You just blindly believe in the coach. And it's okay to respect authority. I'm not personally wired that way. But... It's okay to say, oh, this guy got hired as a head coach. He won a championship as an assistant coach. He's been doing this his whole life. He dedicated his life for this. If you think that, you know, those factors mean that he's right and we must be wrong and we're just missing something, you're free to feel that way. But I don't feel that way. And a lot of people who I really respect, you know, their opinions, people who I think are much smarter than I am, I haven't heard any of them defend Tom Thibodeau's, you know, twenty twenty one 2022 season with the Knicks because it defied all logic and the results were bad, predictably bad based on the mistakes he was making.
0: Plain and simple. Can't really say any better myself. And I just hope that we don't have to watch another year of defied logic and poor results because that was enough last year, man. Last year really like took a toll and that took a toll on you. like, and I'm sure it did on you. And I'm sure it did on others who closely watch this team, who create content for this team, who talk about this team, who just care about and love this team, because like that we should have been better. That team could have been better despite the injury, despite like that team could have been better. We shouldn't have been a 12 seed, and we died. Like the coach died on hills, and you know like things that we wanted to see that I feel like we deserve to see, like. We deserve to see that. And not only do we deserve, not only because we deserve to see it as fans, but I feel like those players deserve it. Like, I feel like Emmanuel quickly deserves
1: to get 25 to 30 minutes a game. and quickly have contract extensions coming up. Like, at a certain point, you're being reckless and their agents should be mad. Like, I'm very surprised. I mean, I guess Obi's management team is kind of intertwined with Leon Rose anyway, but I'm very surprised to see him not ask for a trade. You're the eighth pick. And whenever you play, you play well, but you play as much as the average 10th man. Like, how is, it's a testament to quickly and Grimes to a lesser extent. It's a testament to Obi that they don't go and complain about this. Like that, We've never seen any kind of pushback from them, any, any sign that they're unhappy. I think it's a testament to their character. I really do. Truly. And I, I love those
0: guys. And to be honest, it's like if we were doing the same thing this year, like if Obi's not cracking 20 minutes a game this year, which there probably isn't a path to, especially with him coming out from now and saying we're not getting Obi Randall minutes, then like, yeah, trade him, man. Like, free him. If you're not going to trade Randall and you're going to keep tips here, I love Obi Toppin, but please free him. He doesn't deserve to be sitting here playing 14 minutes a game, bro, for the, for three. Like, you're you're hurting his career. It's like, and it's wonderful. I was as the interview today, he comes into, he's like, hey, you know, I'm just happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm going to do whatever is need, needed when my number is called, blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, to have that guy, he's got a contract extension coming up, and he just deserves to play. Same for Quick. If you're not going to give Quick a path to a consistent 25 minutes at least because you've got to play Evan Fournier, then please send him somewhere that's going to prioritize him. Please send him somewhere that's going to prioritize him to allow him to play and allow him to, get the, to allow him to feed his family the way he should be able to. Because these guys already now, Quick has played, there's been over 100 games of Emmanuel not starting because either Alfred Payton or Alec Burks was. That is a grave mismanagement, bro. Like, come on. And so now you've literally hurt this man's career. You've hurt this man's pockets. You've limited him. You've limited his development.
1: You've hurt your own team. You've alienated the fans. Like, you've done nothing good. You've done nothing good. It's not even like you've put Evan Fournier in position to succeed. Like, Evan Fournier's reputation has been hurt since he's been a Nick. Unequivocally, because he's been put in a position where he's got to guard someone he can't guard. If you can't Alec guard Burks you can't play. Why he got tanked last year, bro. Alec Burks,
0: when he got switched to a point guard, even within the whether it was within the fan base or just around the league, like within
1: the fan, like people were it changed. We loved Alec Burks. I and still then, loved Alec think Burks, but like, yeah, I understood turning on him with the way he was being used. Yeah, I was better he was here just, than Fournier, to be honest. I still love Alec Burks.
0: Yeah, I I I love Allen Burks, but it's like, come on, like you're you're literally tanking his value by playing him out of position. You're not doing anything good here. You're not you're not raising the value. Once again, I said the same. It's like I love quick, I love Obi, I love, Gro- but it's like even if even if you only view these guys as assets, this is not the way to operate. And you and you, and you come out and I, I my big thing for the front office has been like, hey man, even when Leon wasn't, it's was like I don't need I don't need Leon to speak. I thought the the MSG thing was cool to me. It was like he came out, and he said what. Yeah, it was, like, cliche. Like, you know, I don't know what people expect. Like, he's not going to come out and drop a bomb. Like, hey, you know who we're trading for next? Like, you know, he just, he's just saying what, what's going on, with the, what the direction is, what they're trying to do, what they want to accomplish, what they're focusing on. Somebody re- recalling what's going on all season, offseason, what the vision is. Okay, cool. Like, the, I, I thought that was fine. I didn't need it. I was saying that beforehand. I don't need Leon Rose to speak. I didn't. It was just, like, okay, like, I need to see – the actions come out and so when they when they released that thing after draft night saying hey you know we're focusing on the young players blah 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 the assets we have they said like so it's okay cool they've reiterated that on multiple occasions so now I'm good now I, I have something to hold you to because this is what you said I used to say the same thing with Scott Perry it was like everybody couldn't stand Scott Perry and I was like yo I don't know when Scott Perry got here he got on the podium and he said we're gonna make this team younger, faster and more athletic and he did it right away and so you did what you told me you were going to do. I can't trip. So now you told me you're focusing on young players. If that doesn't happen, now I have a bone to pick, and I have the right to have that bone to pick. And so I, I just really hope, you know, I, I don't I, – we've already – we've complained for an hour and a half. I don't want to do this all season. I don't. And so I'm hoping that we get some basketball that makes some sense. I pray to God that by the end of training camp we trade Evan Forney. I know it's not going to happen. But, like, I just I, – I don't want to watch that man play more than 25 minutes. I don't want to watch that man play at all, to be honest. But I don't want to watch him play more than 25 minutes. And this isn't like – I don't know. It's, it's tough to say all that and say hey, – it's tough to say I don't want to watch Evan, him play basketball at all and then say, hey, man, this isn't Evan Fournier. Um, but, you know, I don't have an issue with Evan Fournier personally. And at this point, you know, I – you just – you don't play defense. I don't want you on the court. I don't want you playing for my team. I think that Grimes needs minutes. I think that Quick, sne- quick needs minutes. And I think that Cam Reddish, at the very least, deserves an opportunity. And so all of those are priorities for me over Evan Fournier. And like you said, I think that Deuce McBride would also be better in a role out there. I think we'd be better served. When Deuce played last year, we looked really good
1: all the time. That one game against Detroit, he was a plus 40 with zero points. Good decision maker and a lockdown defender. It goes a longer way than Evan Fournier's three-point shooting. You have to... You have to just take the whole thing into account, the whole lineup. You have to. Yeah, like we uh, – there was a stretch on a West Coast trip. We played – we played Sacramento, we played Dallas, and we played – oh It was Houston where Deuce had 15-9. and nine Yeah, 15-9 against Houston. But there was a three-game stretch on a West Coast trip. We won all
0: three of them, and they were kind of like blowouts, too, or one of them we came back, whatever. But we played the Kings, we played the Mavericks, and we played the Clippers. And we – Beat the shit out of them. We beat the Mavericks by 30. Oh, that was amazing. In Dallas. That was fun. In that Clippers game, there was one stretch in the game where, like, uh, it was Quick, Deuce, RJ, OB, and I think Mitch.
1: So beautiful, man.
0: And we, like, over, like, a 13-minute period or, like, a 11-minute period, 7-minute, however long it was, they, like, didn't score. They scored four points or something. Like, we were, like... We were up on them with that line. I wish I I remembered it last year. I think it was like 18-4 to or something in that time. Like, we just looked really good with him on the floor because he plays real hard. He plays really good defense. Those things you say that contributing to winning basketball. And I don't necessarily think that Evan Fournier has that kind of impact. And so I don't want to watch guys who don't have that kind of impact play over young guys who we should be developing who also have that kind of immediate impact today.
1: Yeah. I think that... Like we really, we really could talk about all this until we're blue in the face. There's so much that it's not, it's not behind the scenes. It's not confusing. Like I think that we, and I think a lot of or most Knicks fans, know the things that you could at least try to do differently that might result in more wins. And uh, lucky enough for us, um, you know, preseason kicks off in six days or exactly one week. I know that. The regular season tips off in exactly three weeks, I believe, 21 days from now. And we're going to see, like, we're going to put it to the test. I think I know what's going to happen, but we're going to find out. We're going to see how Tom Thibodeau's vision for this team translates to NBA basketball. We're going to see how we do against the Grizzlies without Jaron Jackson. We're going to have real basketball to talk you, um, you know, to talk with you about. We're going to be here all season to help you make sense of it all. And so, um, you know, before we wrap up, Sean, do you have any more thoughts on, I guess, the events of the last few days, and uh, what you're looking forward to in the next couple of days for preseason? You know what's on your mind.
0: Um, I mean, you know, one, I would like the Knicks to get the uh, YouTube videos and the press conferences up earlier. I feel like that doesn't take long. Just haven't put them on YouTube, please. Um, I wait all day. It's really annoying. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited for that. I'm excited to start seeing like footage of, you know, them playing, seeing like how things shake out. I hope that he's, you know, experimental with lineups. I hope that we don't have to watch every morning. We've said that the whole time. Um, and I also just, you know, I hope guys are healthy, like seeing grabs in a boot really sucks. Um, I hope that that's, you know, rectified soon and he's better and able to get back out there. I don't want to go into the season with guys, uh, banged up and, you know, things like that. But also the, every time I think about that, I just appreciate the fact that this team has a lot of depth. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking forward to this season overall. Um, it's really nice that we will have preseason basketball next week. Uh, we're here, man. We're here. It's, it's, I've, I've been waiting for the basketball all summer. It was a very, very long, tumultuous, stressful summer full of horrible takes and, you know, regurgitated nonsense. But now we have basketball to talk about. So thank you guys for rocking with us, and I hope you guys continue to do so all season.
1: Yeah, thanks again for listening. Can't wait to be breaking down actual basketball. Uh, Once again, I'm Dean. This is Sean. And, you know, brought to you by the Knicks wall all season. You know where to find us. And I can't wait for it. Uh, Have a good night, everyone.
0: Adios.